All right, good morning, Veritas. Good morning. Guys, thank you so much for leading us. Dalton, thanks for leading us in prayer the way you do. Ah, there you are. Of course. So rich, so good. Um, guys, we're, we're finishing up the book of Hebrews. And so if you've got your Bible, you could make your way to the book of Hebrews. And we're in chapter 13. Means if you've been with us for all these uh, weeks, months, actually, you you can see we're we're coming to the home stretch, almost done with the book of Hebrews. Uh, so several of you have even asked, "Hey, so what's next? Do we just keep going? Like, do we go to the book of James?" Um, well, that'd be a great choice. No, we're not going to go into the book of James. Actually, after we get done with Hebrews in a couple of weeks, and it's it's really cool actually that um, Easter Sunday has some of the most magnificent verses uh, toward the end of Hebrews that are all about the resurrection. So to have Hebrews conclude with resurrection on Easter Sunday is going to be pretty awesome. So that'll conclude our journey through the book of Hebrews. We're actually going to um, go into a study of the Apostles' Creed after we get done with the book of Hebrews. And the reason for that is, um, and we're a a growing church, several have have jumped into this church family, and the Apostles' Creed is one of the uh, best ways for us to confess and confirm together, this is what we believe as Christians. Like, let, let there be no mistake, this is what we, we hold firmly to. And we, we join with Christians from all around the world, in, in all the centuries of Christianity, we join together and say, this we believe. And so I'm, I'm pretty excited about going from Hebrews into um, a study on the, on the Apostles' Creed, looking back into the scriptures as to why we believe what we say we believe through the, through the creed. But there's one phrase in, in the creed that I think is going to help us as we jump into this section of Hebrews. There's a, 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 a passage that says, we believe in the communion of the saints. When we do the Apostles' Creed, we believe in the communion of the saints. Now, why do we confess that to be true? Why is that one of the confessions of the creed? It's because as Christians... Even though we make an individual decision to become a follower of Christ, and when I do that, when I I say, I've heard the gospel, I believe it to be true, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that, that, that he is the King of kings, when I confess that to be true, when I believe that, I'm baptized, right? That's my individual, like, display that I believe what Jesus said. So I am baptized. We're inviting you to do that, even on Easter Sunday. That's say, yes, I'm one of those. I'm a follower of, of Christ. When you come up out of the waters, though, when you step into this faith in Jesus Christ, you, you're not an individual. You jump into a group of Christians, this, this community called the church. We believe that we're in a, a communion, a fellowship of those who have also made that individual decision to follow Christ. So Christianity, guys, by by saying that, what we're saying is we might come to Jesus individually, but we're not to be individualistic, right? We don't stay autonomous. We make that decision for ourselves, but then we gladly jump into this community, the church. So the church, as we've learned through the book of Hebrews, guys, the church is to protect us. Specifically from sound, uh, uh, from from uh, bad doctrine that would take us away from sound doctrine. So it, it protects us and it nurtures us. We even learned how it's by being in the church, we're spurred on. If we ever start getting weak and kind of want to fall away, we're we're spurred on in that way. Um, you know, sometimes 
when we go through hard times, we will, we will say, and I've heard this even this last week, man, can you imagine going through what we're going through if it weren't for Jesus, right? We say that often and we mean that. Oh, what, what do people that go through these kind of things do without Jesus? Well, you could equally say, guys, what would we do without the church? What, what would we do? How could we go through what we're going through without the communion of the saints, without the church? So even this last week, our connection group got together and did something unique. Uh, we just decided to have a good old-fashioned potluck. And so everybody brought, you know, something to share. And it was fun seeing what people brought and all that kind of stuff. And we extended our table. So all of us, or like 16 of us, all getting around one big long table. You know, I had to borrow the neighbor's chairs and stuff to get everybody around our our table, our makeshift table and stuff. And the only thing on the agenda was we are going to fight for contentment from last week's passage. We're going to fight for contentment by just, with just gratitude. It's going to go around, and, and the only thing we're going to do is just list things that we're grateful for, right? And so we were doing that, and then we had a, a, a time of prayer, actually, because a, a pretty burdensome prayer request came on the table. So we spent some time around the table praying for that. But then one of the couples... Uh, told, you know, the group around the table, I said, well, got this opportunity because of a different job to go to a different city and, and, and relocate. But they said, you know, the one thing, literally the one thing that's potentially keeping us here is this. It's God's church. This, all of you guys, but even that thing that we were doing around the table. And guys, when people say that stuff, it, it's pretty cool, but that's not just some shallow sentimentality. Like, that's the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to really love God's church, right? So here's what we found as we get to this part of Hebrews. Hebrews has, for the first 12 chapters, delivered some pretty heavy, pretty thick just doctrine, theology, just showing us how preeminent Jesus Christ is. And look at the very last couple of verses of chapter 12. Um, this is how he ends with a crescendo of, of those 12 thick, heavy chapters. Hebrews 12, 28 says, therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, wow, that's epic, right? We are entering into, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful. Of course, man, who are we to enter into such a kingdom? By it, by that kingdom, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. This is epic, wow, you know, fire and shaking, and we're entering into this unshakable kingdom. Well, the question that we should be asking when we get to those last couple of verses is, well, how do we serve God acceptably, right? What does that look like to serve God acceptably? What, what does it look like to have reverence and awe? What does reverence and awe look like. And so what I believe he does in chapter 13 is actually take a stab at helping us realize what it looks like to live a, an acceptable life, a, a, a life with reverence and all. And look at the first couple of verses. We covered it a, a bit ago, but look at look, the very first thing he says then to answer the question, what does that look like? Chapter 13, verse 1, let brotherly love continue. After, after those epic verses, you know, about, man, this kingdom can be shaken. How, how do we do that? Well, let brotherly love continue. Continue, don't neglect to show hospitality. You know what he starts talking about? The church, right? Familial love. What does it look like to, to serve God acceptably, reverence, awe? The church. 
Brotherly love, familial love, hospitality, that's the stuff. So he's been talking now about what it looks like to step into that kingdom as a community, as the church. Today, we're going to really narrow the focus of what he means by the church by looking at leadership. What does he expect when he speaks about the church and specifically leadership within the church? So we're going to look at two verses today that, that teach us about that. The very next verse that we have come to in chapter 13, verse 7, is one of those. Look at verse 7. Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives. Imitate their faith. Okay? The next verse comes a few verses down, verse 17, and we're going to capture this one because it's also about leadership. Verse 17 says, Obey your leaders, submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So the way we're going to do this, actually, is we're going to look at a couple things. What does God expect from those who lead? And then also, what does God expect from those who are led? That's the way we're going to look at this. And I want us to have both verses actually kind of before us as we do that, and we're going to toggle back and forth between them. But I do want you to notice before we dive in, um, that he very, I think, intentionally uses the broad word leaders. So he could have used the word for elder or pastor. Those are readily available to him, right? And, and really restricted what he's talking about, but he doesn't. He could have talked about the teachers. He could have done that. That word was readily available. But he gives this broad umbrella word leaders. The reason I say that is because um, he's obviously talking to elders who are ultimately you're responsible for leadership in God's church. But he's going to be talking about those who teach. He's going to be talking about many in this room who are set apart to teach God's word in some capacity. So he's going to be talking, guys, to uh, connection group leaders. He's going to be talking about those who work with our youth. He's going to be talking about those who work within Veritas Kids, who work within men's ministry and women's ministry and so leaders, I want you to all, all feel a little bit of the weight. He's not just talking about restrictively just the elders. He's talking about leaders in general very intentionally. And here's the thing. They're all identifiable. That's the one clue we get from this. He's always speaking broadly. There's an identifiable group here, right? Because you can see them and know them, he talks about like in, in, in verse 7. There are certain people that you're to obey and, and submit to. In fact, there's one other time that he uses this word leaders. Look, if you've got your Bible all the way down to verse 24, where right before he drops his, his pen, he says this, greet all your leaders and all the saints. So what he's saying is, you, you know who they are. They're, they're in a defined category. They've got positions. They've been called out to lead or teach in some capacity. And so what I'm saying is this, this room right now is peppered with all sorts of people who have been identified in one way or another as leaders, right? So the very first thing he says there, like in, in verse 7, remember your leaders. Remember just has this idea of, of keep them in mind. Now, he might be talking about leaders who have gone before and have died already. He might be saying that, but I think it's broader than that. I think it's about even people right here, right now. So in other words, when we say, hey, I'm, just, just so you know, I'm remembering you in prayer. It doesn't mean you died. <laughs> like, I remember you. I keep you in my mind. That's what he's saying. Keep, keep the leaders forefront. Keep them in your mind, okay? And that's what we're going to do this morning. Keep leadership in our mind. And 
First question then, what does God expect from those who lead? So if you're one of the leaders this morning, I want you to especially start getting nervous. I think connection groups can be really interesting, right? As all the connection group leaders kind of allow the spotlight on them. Hey, here's what God expects from you. That's what we're going to talk about first. How you doing with that, right? What does God expect from those who lead? The very first thing is he expects, God expects his leaders to speak God's word. Look at, look at verse 7. Leaders who have spoken God's word to you. Very first thing, there's an expectation that leadership means you speak God's word. Leaders, I need you to listen up here, okay? Guys, you are ambassadors. You are emissaries. You're not the leader itself. You actually are a leader that just represents a higher rank of leader higher than you, above you, right? Can you imagine, think about, think about a war, okay? Think about a war, and um, think about if you're in a, a unit of troops, and the captain over you says, hey, guys, I, I've heard from up above, I've heard from the general, the way he wants this next battle to go, but here's what I want us to do, right? I know we're supposed to do this little flank around the outside, but we're just going to go right up the gut. We're just going to go straight on, right? Just think if you had somebody under authority just calling one on his own, right? How disastrous would that be? How does that, like there'd be units of, of soldiers kind of all of a sudden confused and maybe firing at each other. It'd be total chaos, total confusion, right? Guys, what I'm saying is as leaders, we don't have the luxury of calling audibles. We don't. We have one job to be an ambassador, to be an emissary, to speak God's word. God has spoken. And in God's church, it's up to leaders just to relay his message, right? Just, hey, th this just comes from above. Now, this works in two ways. And I want, I've been thinking about this. I've been meditating on this, obviously, because I, I feel like I've got to look in a mirror a lot when it comes to this, this passage. We just got done in, in my Bible reading thing going through the book of, of Joshua, and there's this phrase that comes through in Joshua. It comes through again in Proverbs, comes through in Isaiah, different other places. When you hear God's word, he will say this, don't turn to the right or to the left, right? When you receive God's word, don't turn to the right or the left. Don't, go, don't fall into this ditch or that ditch. Well, I think there are two ditches that, that um, just speaking God's word, it keeps us from, from going in one of these dangerous ditches. Here's the thing, guys, as leaders, you can't say something that you know doesn't come from above, right? It, it keeps me from saying stuff that I know counters, actually, what God would have said. So if I'm speaking to somebody, and I know what they really want me to say, but it goes against what God is saying, I don't have the luxury of saying something that God wouldn't say. Like, that's the third commandment. This is so basic. The third commandment says, don't misuse the name of the Lord. Don't, don't take God's name in vain. Don't attach God's name to stuff that he isn't part of. I don't have the luxury as a leader of saying, oh, man, you want to do that? You really do? And, and you want to know that God's on your side? Okay, yeah. I'll give you God's blessing. God wants you to do that. I, I don't have the luxury of saying stuff that God isn't saying, right? I don't have that luxury. The other way, though, that this is a safeguard, I must say some things that I'm quite confident they don't want to hear, right? So I can't say stuff that God hasn't said, and I actually am forced to say stuff that I know isn't going to be received very well. Both of those things are true if I'm true to speaking God's word. Here's what this does, you guys. 
it puts a fire under the kind of leader that is like a peace at all cost kind of leader. That I just want peace. I just want to say whatever is going to make for peace. It puts a fire under those. And it also puts a muzzle on leaders who just want to shout their own opinions all the time, right? This is, this is the great way that, that leaders can kind of stay safe is just speak God's word. At, at, at any given point, I, I might want to fall into either one of those ditches. But leaders, we got to speak, speak God's word. Let's go to the second thing. What does God expect from those who lead? Well, speak God's word. Secondly, show people God's word. Show people God's word. Carefully observe the outcome of their lives. That's what it says. Watch what they're saying. Guys, one of the most terrifying passages for me as a leader uh, in the whole Bible is from Matthew 23. I want to read for you from Matthew 23. If you get your Bible, you can turn there. I, I actually won't have this one on the screens, but you can listen in. Matthew 23, Jesus is speaking. He says to the crowds and to his disciples, both to the crowds those, and to his disciples, he wants them to hear this. He says this. The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore, do whatever they tell you to do and observe it. He's saying, hey, when the leaders speak on behalf of Moses, in other words, when they open the book of Deuteronomy or whatever and start speaking, oh yeah, perk up and listen. They're, they're telling you God's word. But listen to this. But don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry, and they put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. Man, that is an indictment, isn't it? Hey, when, they're open, when they open their Bible, yeah, listen to them, because that's just God speaking. Oh, but don't follow them home. Don't actually do what they do, because they like to speak one thing, but they live something totally different than that. Here's what I'm saying. Guys, God expects his leaders to show people what God's word looks like. Leaders, no one expects you to be perfect. Nobody in God's church expects the leaders to be perfect. But they do and should expect that all the leaders are Christ followers, <laughs> that they're actually following Jesus, not just speaking Jesus, that they're following Jesus, right? That's why... Uh, we can say things like, and this is kind of scary, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, where Paul says, hey, follow me as I follow Jesus. Follow me as I follow the example of Christ. That's what leaders do. They don't just speak it, they, they live it, okay? The next thing I think is true for those who lead based on these verses is we care about people, not decisions. They keep watch over your souls. That's what it says in verse 17. Leaders care about people, not decisions. Guys, this idea of keeping watch actually has the idea of losing sleep. <laughs> Inherent in, in the words is, is losing sleep. Like, you remember in the uh, Advent story, like the shepherds that keep watch over their flock by night? You know, that idea of keeping watch. So while all the sheep are well-fed and now they're tired and they're, they're sleeping, what does the shepherd do? He stays alert. He stays awake, sometimes even losing sleep because he's caring for the sheep. So there's an alertness, a care, but he cares about souls. Look at that verse. He cares about souls. Church, we need to really see, I mean, this is so basic, but man, be reminded, leaders don't keep watch over attendance, okay? 
Leaders don't keep watch over finances. Hey, it looks like the numbers are up. That's good. Numbers are down. What do we need to do? They don't keep watch on just tally marks of attendance or finances. They don't just see people as warm bodies as if we're like herding cattle or something. They care about souls. So when we teach leaders, we don't teach curriculum. We don't teach content. We teach people good curriculum and good content. We care about people, right? When, when we lead, we don't lead an organization or in Christian world, a mission. We don't lead a mission. We lead people. We care for souls, right? That's what leaders do. They care about people. Guys, people in God's church should not feel well-organized and well-taught. They should sense that they're well-cared for. They should sense that they have souls, <laughs> that they are known, and that there are people that care for their souls. And I think that's so important. So leaders, we care about people, not decisions. We're not decision makers. We're lovers of people. Okay, last one on this, and then we're going to turn the table a little bit. But fourth thing I've got is, ultimately, leaders, we are surrendered to the authority of Christ. He says in verse 17, as those who will give an account. We are surrendered to the authority of Christ. There's another passage that is super helpful for me as I think about this. I go to often, actually, is 1 Peter 5. In, in 1 Peter 5, which is just a couple ver, uh, books to the right of Hebrews, if you want to go there, 1 Peter 5 says this, verse 2. Shepherd God's flock among you. Shepherd God's flock among you. Not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, as, as God would call you to do this. This is God saying, I, I, I want you to lead. I need you to come over here and do this or that, right? As God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, right? Not with raw authority, but being examples to the flock. Here it is again, just like in Hebrews, being examples to the flock, but then this. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Man. This, this is such a great reminder, all of us as leaders, that we don't have ultimate authority. We don't have capital A authority. The only high authority, the only chief shepherd is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the ultimate authority. All of us are then under his authority. We have no innate authority. We have temporary authority, right? We're just given authority. We have derived authority. The ultimate authority is, is the chief shepherd. And, and guys, Jesus is watching. Jesus cares very much about what's going on in his church. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I am building my church. Now, every now and then, he's calling some of us to lead in some capacity, and we're glad to do that, but we're always pointing back to Jesus because we know all we're to do is to, to serve him, right? To be under his, his ultimate authority, surrendered to that, and that's a safety. There's a safety in that. Okay. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to turn the tables a little bit because these verses not only put the pressure on leaders, but now the second way I want to look at these verses is what does God expect, not just from the leaders, but from those who are being led? What does God expect from those of us who are being led? Now, 
all of a sudden, that calls all of us to attention. Because even the leaders are under the authority of other leaders, right? So all of us are supposed to, to perk up now. In fact, the, the whole book of Hebrews, if you remember way back, months back when we started, um, Hebrews chapter 1 starts with just the supremacy of Jesus Christ over all things. He is the supreme leader of all things. We're gladly in surrender to him, right? All of us. I, I'm just, I want to say it again, and then we're going to get into this. There is no place in God's church for raw, unbridled authority. There is no place in God's church for raw, autonomous, unbridled authority. So now when I start saying, what's it mean to be led? Even those who have been perked up as leaders are now listening also because they are also being led, right? We are all under authority, not just of Jesus, but of, of other leaders, right? The most qualified leaders in God's church are in glad surrender, yes, to Jesus, but also to other leaders, other human leaders. Nobody gets to kind of rise above all that and be supreme leader. Nope. We are all under authority to Jesus and, and to others. Okay, so this is what it looks like for all of us to be led. Number one, imitate the lives of godly leaders. Back in verse 7, imitate their faith. Observe the outcome of their lives, right? They've been speaking God's word to you. Watch how they live their lives and imitate their faith. When you see a faithful leader, do what they do. It's interesting, the, the word that we have here, imitate their faith, we, we get our English word mimic from this word. Mimic them. How do they talk? Talk like that. How do they walk? How do they read their Bible? How do they pray? How do they interact with others? Even when you maybe meet them for coffee, how do they treat strangers? How do they, whatever they're doing, just keep watching them and observing them and parroting them. It, it's okay. Mimic them. Imitate leaders. Now, this requires something of all of us, and that is that we get in the proximity of leaders, right? To, to be able to see them, to be able to mimic them. And I'm not just talking about pastors, elders, I'm talking about your connection group leader, men's group leader, whatever. Um, get around them, uh, take them out for coffee, ask them questions. How do you do this? How do you do that? Right? Um, mimic, follow them, not just hear them, but mimic their lives. Guys, I have learned more at every stage of my life. Now, especially when I was a brand new believer and I was just a, a blank slate. I knew nothing, right? I, I'm mimicking any Christian I can, right? So, but, but at every stage, even now that I've walked with Christ for many years, I've learned more at every stage by mimicking the faith of others than I have just by sitting in a corner and just reading my Bible on my own. Now, God speaks to me, right? I, I learn from God's word. But, but watching it lived out teaches me immense things. I, I was thinking about this, like, take Coach Dermody, right? Brian Dermody, who's just up here teaching the Bible, right? I can't learn how to deadlift, I can't mimic Brian Dermody when it comes to deadlift. You guys, do you know that he can deadlift like 700 pounds? 700 pounds. You guys, that is the weight of the average horse, okay? <laughs> Just to put that in perspective, you know. Uh, hopefully it'd be a dead horse. That'd be especially difficult for him, I think, even for Brian Dermody. Anyway, so just imagine lifting a horse. I'm just saying, he, I can't mimic that. He's going to do, no, I've got nothing. I'm not even going to try to mimic him. But here's what I can do. I can watch him weigh things out and have discernment 
I can watch him disciple people. I've never known anybody to disciple other men the way that Brian Dermody does. I can learn how to do some stuff by just mimicking Brian Dermody. Guys, I can't mimic Mark Arendt pulling off an ollie on a skateboard. I don't, I don't even know how to spell ollie. I don't even know what that is. I know I can't. He's 45, and he can still do stuff on skateboard. Right? I, not even going to try. At this age, way past, way past learning how to do something I can't spell or pronounce on a skateboard. But I could learn how to love my Bible in ways that Mark Arendt really loves his Bible. I can learn how to worship in ways that come so natural to him and not so natural to him. I can mimic Mark Aaron, right? I can't learn, um, I can't mimic Rebecca turning every room she enters into into a party. <laughs> like, she, it just comes naturally. Like she's just a party maker, right? I can't, it's just not ever going to be me. I'm not going to be the party guy. My wife can't. I can't. I can't be. But you know what? I can mimic Rebecca when I step into a situation that takes incredible wisdom, incredible gentleness coupled with the strength of the truth of the scriptures, and I can learn how to do that by mimicking Rebecca. What I'm saying, guys, is those of us who are being led, we have to humble ourselves and think, you know, the best thing I could do is learn how to copycat people that I see doing it better than I do. We've got to learn to mimic, to imitate the lives of godly leaders. The second thing, and this one's out of verse 17, obey and submit to leaders. Now you're like, hey, 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 no, we're going to draw a line somewhere here, right? We, we don't like those words, obey and submit. Now I want to remind us that he's referring to leaders who speak God's word, who live out God's word, we're not talking about some weird, like almost cult-like allegiance to leaders in general. We're talking about godly leaders who are watching up for our souls, speaking God's word, living it outright. We are to obey and submit to them. That's every one of us in this room. I want you to ask yourself, are you, are you easily led I'm not asking, do you have really good leaders over you? I'm asking you, are you easily led? Are you different? Like, are you changed because you've actually allowed a leader into your life? They've been able to speak into your life, and you've actually changed. Can you mark change in your life because you've actually chosen to follow what they've said, to obey, to submit to them? Guys, there's a really dangerous kind of spirit of our age right now. The spirit of our age is boldly autonomous, right? Autonomy. And guys, I don't think the recent pandemic has helped any of us in this regard. We work from home. We stay away from others. We isolate, right? Now, some of that came because we, we had to, right? We, we had to stop this global pandemic. But what I'm saying is that got patterns going in a lot of people's lives where suddenly we have this fierce independence and autonomy and we're not willing to kind of enter in and just gladly submit, enter into community and sub submit and obey to others because who are you to tell me? I, I, I marched to my own drumbeat. I'm doing my own thing over here in my own little corner, my own little world, right? Guys, God values 
the virtue of glad submission. That's the Jesus way. Jesus himself, the God of the universe, submitted to his Father and did only what he was told in his time here on this earth, right? If we're going to be followers of Christ, Christ followers, we're going to learn how to receive. Now, the leaders that all all of us have around us and, and over us, often they are just speaking just bold God's word, but then every now and then they're making decisions about things that are informed by the Bible that don't have a direct access, like, hey, how many services are we going to have for Easter? I don't want those times. Why are they having a time? Whatever. And I'm just saying, like, just, just be in a place of glad surrender, knowing that these men and women, they're, they're making decisions from the Bible, sometimes just based on the Bible, but not a direct line to the Bible. But let's just follow. Let's learn how to work in glad submission to others, which makes this last point, I think, just really beautiful, the way that he ends this. Look again at verse 17. Guys, make the church a happy home. Make the church a happy home. I know that sounds kind of trite, but that's what he's really calling us to. Guys, do this with joy, not a grief. It it wouldn't be good for you or for anybody else to to make it a bummer for this church to to have you in it. No, let's just all live in a glad surrender. So I was thinking about this yesterday. I had the privilege of, of spending the whole day with three of my adult kids and their children. And we got all the way back home late last evening. And Teresa said to me, she said, man... This was really a happy day, you know? And I was like, this was a happy day. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't problem-free. Of course, there were tears. There's a bunch of little kids involved and everything else, right? I mean, so it wasn't a perfect day, but it was honestly a, a glad day. You know what? What I'm saying is, what I think the picture that he's basically painting here, let Veritas Church be a place like that. It's a happy place. People want to jump in. People step into that kind of environment. Like, had you stepped into the, the front yard of my son's house yesterday when we were all up, you would have been like, man, I, I, I want to be here, right? I want to, I want to be part of this. Let's, let's make Veritas Church the kind of place that is attractive so that we can say, oh, that's because we've got this unbelievable relationship with Jesus. He's transformed all of us. It's crazy. This is all because of what Jesus does. Come join us. Make this a happy place, right? Really easy application this morning, guys. Um, are you part of the family of, of Jesus? I, I, here's what I'm saying. If you're part of the family, if, if you're individually saying, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ, the very first step is be baptized, right? We're giving you an opportunity again on Easter. Be baptized. Count yourself among those who are followers of Christ. So, so that's, man, that's teeing it up pretty easy. We know about that. And then secondly, guys, are, are you a member of our church family? Are you saying, yeah, actually, I don't want to remain autonomous, independent out here. I want to live this stuff out. And that's only going to happen as I actually be part of a place that I recognize who those leaders are. And I'm actually under that leadership, that teaching, that authority. I, 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 want, I want to make this place a happy place. I'd, in, I'd encourage you to take those next steps. Join us, right? And something we can all do is the way that he ends uh, this, this beautiful passage. Look, look with me at verse 18 and 19. Because this is so important, so important to God's church. Here's what the author says. Hey, pray for us. And I, I think he's saying, the, those of us who are leaders, right? He's writing to them. as, Pray for us. For we're convinced that we have a clear conscience. Wanting to conduct ourselves honorably in everything. But I think he's saying pray for us because that's tough to do. 
There's an enemy that's calling us to compromise. There's an enemy that's calling us to suddenly be, you know, autonomous. There's, there's all sorts of reasons that this, this could go wrong because it's on some pretty imperfect humans that this, this is, you know, God's calling us to. So pray for us. We're, man, I've got a clear conscience. I believe I have a clear conscience, but pray, right? Because we, we want to do this honorably. We want to honor Christ and everything. And I urge you all the more, pray that I may be restored to you very soon, which speaks again to the families. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm having to write a letter because I'm not there. Man, I just want to join you guys. I want to be in that front yard with you guys. I want to sit at the table with you guys. Oh, I'd, I'd love to be back with you. Not to speak beautifully of not just some magisterial leader throwing down from afar. No, he says, oh man, I'd love to be with you guys. Guys, let's, let's do pray, and then we are going to join together at a beautiful table, the table of communion. But I would love for us to uh, actually follow up with what he says and pray for our leaders right now. Will you stand with me? Let's, let's stand together. God, I want to thank you, Lord, that you have just given our church family so many layers of incredible leaders, even those who are about to join me on, the, on this stage to lead us in worship, Lord. I'm, I'm so grateful, Lord. Everywhere we turn, there are people leading us, and what a gift, God, because we, we just so need that. I pray, God, would you protect us from the evil one, all those who lead. Now, we've got internal struggles. We've got external struggles. We're weak humans. But we have a strong Savior. We have a strong gospel. We are stepping into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so we step forward with strength and courage because you're the one leading us, Lord. Help us. God, help, help Veritas Church to be the kind of church that honors you, that takes all this wonderful teaching and then lives it out beautifully as we reflect your goodness, your grace, your truth, Lord, that would be like a city on a hill, Lord. That's what we want to be to honor you. So we pray these things in Christ's name.